Hey everybody, it's Friday and I'm doing a solo news show today. I'm on the road. I am actually in Texas and I just got to watch the Starship launch uh, on 420. So I talk a little bit about that and then we'll get into BuzzFeed shutting down BuzzFeed News, cutting 15% of its employees, as well as Fox settling their Dominion voting system uh, libel case for $787 million. And I'm going to take a little victory lap here. Remember I had said that Reddit and Quora should start charging for their data sets. Well, Reddit's CEO has come out and saying and has said they're going to start charging AI models to use their data to train it. Finally, we'll talk about Tiger Global marking its huge $12.7 billion fund down another 20%. And perhaps uh, a little um, uh, hand wringing and pain and suffering in the late stage of venture capital and what that means for founders. Also, I'm going to answer some of your questions. I think I have three or four great questions from the audience today. I'm going to answer them at the end. It's going to be a great episode. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Pilot. Grow your business sustainably and operate more effectively. Pilot provides the most reliable accounting, CFO, and tax services for startups and small businesses. Head to pilot.com slash twist and get 20% off the first six months. Issue is the all-in-one platform for creating and distributing beautiful digital content. Get started with Issue today for free or sign up for an annual premium account and get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code twist. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and use promo code TWIST. And Linode. Apply to Linode's RISE program for founder-led early stage startups and get a $500 credit up to $120,000 in infrastructure credits in year one, cloud consulting, and so much more. Apply at linode.com slash TWIST. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm in Texas. I was here for the Starship launch at Starbase, and it was an incredible day. I would say one of the most intense, amazing things I've ever experienced in my life, a a true privilege uh, to witness history. And this rocket ship that SpaceX launched is called Starship. And I'll just give you a quick overview of it. You can see it there taking off um and then this happened on thursday it was originally supposed to happen on monday uh and there were some challenges and that got scrubbed and they they launched today thursday when i'm taping this brief history if you don't know um the falcon um series of rockets is what spacex is most known for and they have had 221 uh, mission successes with that rocket I i believe it's the most successful rocket in history and that's what you see them putting up satellites all the time uh, and uh, landing those uh, reusable rockets on platforms. And they've had a they had a two failures, one partial and uh, one total loss in the history of that program. So a tremendous, incredible record uh, for the Falcon for SpaceX. Two hundred twenty-four launches, and for the first time in history, the ability to actually land these rockets and then reuse them. So according to SpaceX's website, 224 of those Falcons went off, 186 of them landed, and 158 uh, reflights. And this is the key to what SpaceX is doing. If the rockets become uh, reusable, then you can uh, lower the cost of getting to space. Economics drives a lot of things in the world, and getting to space uh, faster and cheaper with reusable rockets is a critical piece of this. But Starship is a, a really different beast is the most powerful rocket that's uh, ever been developed by humanity. 
and it uh, consists of two main parts. You got the starship, and then you got the super heavy booster. Starship is that really uh, science fiction looking uh, rocket on the top of the uh, booster. It's uh, about 400 feet high, and it's huge. You can put 150,000 metric tons uh, uh, into into space, and that's the equivalent of 330,000 pounds. Tesla Model Y, that's about 4,600 pounds. It can carry 250 metric tons. Uh, and just the BBC made this chart just to give you a scale from the space shuttle to the Falcon Heavy, the, the really souped up version of the Falcon rocket, uh, all the way to the Saturn V uh, and then the Starship. It is truly amazing. And I got to witness this firsthand. I was in the control center and it was an epic moment to see the, the rocket launch. Uh, of course, the press was <laughs> negative on it. Uh, you can see some headlines here. SpaceX uh, Starship rocket explodes shortly after launch. Some pretty cynical takes in the mainstream media. But the truth is, these, you know, this is the largest rocket ever made. And success was defined really by just accomplishing two things. One, and SpaceX was pretty clear about this. Elon was pretty clear about it. Hey, can they get this thing off the launch pad? And when you see this thing in person, it is unbelievable the scale of it. But could they clear that launch pad? And that is um, that they cleared very easily. And uh, the the flight went on for I think over four minutes. And then they did a uh, planned, uh, you know, if if the rocket doesn't uh, reach its next stage when it separates, then they have this plan to blow it up essentially. And that's what they did. The, the other goal is to survive what's called max Q. This is like uh, the stress test of the rocket can handle all that thrust. This thing has a lot of the uh, engines at the bottom of it, thrusting it into the air. This is a completely new platform. Nothing's ever been made like this. So this would be, if you were in the space industry, a huge success. Now, if you're watching headlines on the news, it might seem like a complete failure. But typically when a new rocket uh, is developed, Three, four, five, six, seven rockets uh, it takes to get these things stable and uh, into orbit. And so this is the start of what will be a humanity-changing platform. And it really is a platform for putting large amounts of cargo into space. And then Elon's obviously stated mission is to get to Mars. So what we witnessed today shows, I think, a couple of lessons for founders who listen to this podcast. Rapid iteration and incremental progress right? Uh, this has been almost two decades in the making. Oh, we're in the second decade of SpaceX. And they just have been incrementally making these uh, systems more powerful, more reliable, uh, and bigger and with bigger payloads. And that's what you really want to take away from this. And they will stack and rack another one of these very shortly is my understanding. Uh, I'm not going to speak out of turn here. I'm not giving any inside information that you can't get on uh, Twitter and social media or from Elon's Twitter handle himself, if you follow him. Uh, but this is the start of something very big and you're going to see some more of these rockets go off and it's super exciting. So more to come, but I can tell you just from a very personal place, congratulations to the SpaceX team. I got to talk to a lot of them today uh, and this week and, uh, some of them watch the pods, uh, which is quite nice. And they are real heroes for humanity. The amount of effort and suffering and sacrifice it takes to, to have this level of innovation is truly impressive to me. And so congratulations uh, to all my friends at SpaceX. 
Hey, listen, everybody, in the early days of your startup, you need to be focused on your product, your customers, even your team and building that out. But you can't forget about getting your accounting dialed in. As an early stage investor, I've seen so many accounting horror stories, people doing cash based accounting instead of accrual. Maybe they forgot to do their tax returns. Maybe they paid uh, employees or they paid contractors without having a proper payroll system in place and they didn't withhold the right taxes. I, I can go on for hours about accounting nightmares. But when you're a founder, you got to balance two things. You got to have a proper accounting system and uh, you're going to need to run your startup at the same time. And you can't hire a CFO. We all know those come when you hit maybe 10 or 20 million in revenue. So I want you to take a look at Pilot. They've seen all these problems hundreds and hundreds of times. And they will handle your books for you from the start. When you get big enough, of course, you hire a CFO, you bring in your own accountants, you do it in house, whatever you want to do. Pilot understands that they want to help you right now. They want to dial everything in, they'll do it for a great price. Pilot is an amazing service that provides accounting, CFO and tax services for startups. So here's your call to action. Twist listeners can get a 20% discount for the first six months at pilot.com slash twist. That's pilot p i l o t dot com slash twist for 20% off your first six months. Speaking of the media, I told you we would see a series of media layoffs after the tech ones. And today was a major one. BuzzFeed uh, went public through a SPAC, became worth billions of dollars. It was worth billions of dollars in the private market. But the media business, especially the advertising one, uh, is incredibly difficult, especially in a down market. Also, BuzzFeed had a very expensive news division that had done serious investigative reporting. It was actually really well done. Uh, they had actually won a Pulitzer in 2021 when they reported on the treatment of the Uyghurs uh, using satellite imagery. BuzzFeed, as a news organization, was backed by venture capitalists. And that is something you will rarely see. Venture capitalists do not like to back content companies because they're low margin. They don't scale. Uh, they can get to hundreds of millions in revenue, but they don't typically get to billions. Now, technology might. Uh, so something like a social network, Instagram. Facebook, Google search, a technology platform that has advertising in it, YouTube, user generated content that works fine. But when you have to pay for the journalists who are not cheap, you know, journalists, you know, probably at BuzzFeed averaging starting salaries 50 60k and, you know, uh, going up to 100. And maybe there are a couple of all stars in there who, who get paid two or $300,000 a year. Well, they had another riff, uh, their stocks down to a $100 million market cap, just to give you an idea. I mean, they do a couple of $100 million in revenue. So they're trading at less than their revenue. And we talk about one times revenue, two times revenue. They're below that now. Uh, they're down 90% since uh, going public in December of 2021. They were valued back in 2016 at $1.7 billion. They should have, uh, and they had raised $200 million from NBC Universal. They should have sold the company at that point. But the news business is tough, and this is a cataclysmic event. But what I can tell you that's really interesting to me is when you look at how the media cycle works, every time we've seen the industry uh, go through a recession, a depression, a correction, when people get laid off, they will then go start their own publications. And it happened with the web in the 90s uh, and email newsletters. Then we saw blogs, which I was involved in with Engadget and Joystick and all these great blogs. And then uh, podcasting, which I was also involved with, uh, and even mobile apps. Mobile apps never really worked here in America. They do work in some other countries like Smarter News in um, Japan and China and some other places, Korea. News apps have become very popular. They're not popular here. Kevin Systrom's working on a new one. 
But this is an opportunity for all of those people who've been laid off as hard as it is to look and say, hey, maybe um, I can start a podcast. Maybe I can start my own media company. The secret to media is keeping expenses low. And what happened with BuzzFeed is they had venture money and venture money thrown onto uh, a business like this distorts it. And it makes it very hard to understand the, the fundamental economics of the media business, which are generally horrible. And now solo media efforts like this podcast, right? Uh, which does a couple million dollars in advertising, if you can keep the staff size under 10 or so, yeah, you could you could build a profitable business, perhaps even a very profitable business, but you have to get rid of all the infrastructure. You can't have offices, you can't have layers and layers of management and investigative journalism is some of the most expensive items that you can produce on the web, because it takes six months and sometimes they don't go anywhere. You might have five people working on an investigative story and it just fizzles out or gets no traffic. Adding to this problem was BuzzFeed had an addiction and a dependency on Facebook and Facebook rug pulled them, I believe, multiple times. So remember Facebook pages, Facebook stories, optimizing headlines, uh, paying for Facebook headlines and then doing what's called arbitrage. You buy a bunch of traffic from Facebook at, you know, one price and then you try to sell premium advertisers. And then at some point, Facebook was like, you know, we'll just keep the traffic here and we don't need to send traffic to BuzzFeed. So they didn't have direct traffic to their own website. And the media business is hard. And it really is moving when it gets this hard. You start to see unnatural acts occur. And it becomes largely entertainment and clickbait. The audience is starting to understand this. So this has turned into a really vicious cycle. And it's not all publications, but many publications are fighting to get attention. So then they go with whatever the clickbaitiest headline is, as we just talked about in the previous story. Oh my God, the, the rocket ship blew up. But the goal of this was, of course, to just get off the launch pad. So this was an incredible success for SpaceX, but that's not as uh, sexy as a headline or as clickable as a headline as rocket ship blows up, right? And we see this really has manifested itself most acutely in what we saw earlier this week when Fox settled with the Dominion voting system for. $787 million. Let that sink in. Uh, that's that's basically eight BuzzFeeds at the current valuation. This is a lot of money. Uh, the previous biggest settlement um, in the media space was $177 million in 2017 between ABC News and a South Dakota meat processing company. And this is four times plus that. And this settlement happened as there was about to be a defamation trial in Delaware. Fox acknowledged the uh, that the court had found tons of falsehoods that they aired. But Fox is not going to be required in the settlement to do apologies or retractions. As part of the settlement, I think Dominion wanted to get this huge check and they got it. A lot of the different folks at Fox had to testify. And there was a lot of discovery where they pull people's text messages, emails. And so if you look at just this settlement, Wow. I mean, it is such a large number. Fox had $4 billion in cash on their books. So they're basically giving you know, 20% of their cash over to this voting system. I don't know how big the voting system company is, but I think this is the biggest dividend they're ever going to give to their shareholders. And they've been pretty quiet about the settlement. From Reuters, host Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, who had been expected to testify in the Dominion trial, did not reference the settlement during their primetime uh, broadcasts. And this is something that we can all reflect on. Now, Fox News does not represent all media outlets. uh, But 
television news specifically has changed over the last two or three decades. There was a time when the nightly news, Walter Cronkite, Tom Brokaw, Katie Couric, there was uh, considered a, a an honor and uh, that this was a vocation and it was an important service to the public that you get it right. Over time, uh, CNN came out, MSNBC, which was originally a partnership between NBC and Microsoft. That's the MS in MSNBC. If you don't know that, you can look it up. And of course, Fox News, and it became entertainment. And so you went from reporting to opinion. And the audience was trying to parse that. Am I watching Walter Cronkite? Am I watching Tom Brokaw, Peter Jennings, somebody who's telling me really specifically what happened in the news well researched? Or is this just a talking head? Or is it an entertaining talking head? And really, the audience, I think, has now figured this out calling it Fox News. I mean, if they just called it Fox Entertainment or Fox Opinion, they could just call Fox Opinion a network. And that would be, I think, a little more honest because when you watch these, and and I'm not just saying it's Fox. I mean, MSNBC obviously is a ton of opinion folks and very little original reporting. A lot of times their original reporting is by having a New York Times reporter on the program. So this is indicative of something that's, you know, been happening in the media space. And it's why Twitter podcasts, email newsletters, and other independent journalists are doing so well right now. It's because the audience wants to talk to a small number of people they feel they can trust, and they are trying to figure out what the motivation of that person is. So you're probably here listening to this week in startups wondering, hey, what's my motivation? Well, I invest in startups. I'm passionate about it. I don't need to do the podcast every day. This amount of money I make from it is not life-changing for me. I I do it because I love it. I have a passion for it. So you can infer from this, I'm an investor passionate about startups, passionate about technology, and I enjoy doing it. Does that mean I am pro-technology? Of course. Am I pro-entrepreneurship and capitalism? Of course. But am I trying to entertain you and maximize the revenue and ratings? I'm not going for ratings here, obviously. If I was going for ratings, it would sound like maybe some other tech podcast where I'm, you know, being hysterical about technology and, and whatnot. So we try to just keep it 100 here, keep it a buck, keep it super serious and insidery and always try to tell you the truth okay listen if you're running a sales team you got a design agency you got a media business you know the hassle of one pagers right they never format correctly on mobile you can't track them properly it's a complete mess i have worked in the media business for many years three decades in fact i'm getting old and nobody had figured this out until now you have to check out issue it's issuu.com Issue is the all-in-one platform for you to create and distribute beautiful digital content. It's not just one-pagers. Those are important, of course, but you can create marketing materials, magazines, catalogs, portfolios, and so much more. Beautiful, evocative collateral to help you sell your product or service, but it also comes with amazing analytics that you can just pop up on a dashboard and you're going to track the reads, the total time spent, device breakdown. Are they watching it on their iPad, their phone? It also works seamlessly with tools like Canva, Dropbox, MailChimp, and InDesign. Having a trackable magazine, if you want to level up your marketing needs, you need to use Issue. So get started for free or get 50% off an annual premium plan at issue.com slash podcast and use the promo code TWIST. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and use that promo code TWIST so they know I sent you for your free starter account or 50% off an annual premium plan as we keep moving here through the news is that AI is changing uh, a lot and journalism is going to be greatly changed by 
ChatGPT4 and other language models. And they've been trained on large data sets. We saw Bloomberg release their own version of like a, a ChatGPT uh, and other people are doing that too. But I have to take a little bit of a mini victory lap here. You may remember on This Week in Startups and the All In Podcast, I have been saying, hey, if you trained, if you trained your language model on somebody else's data set, that would break their ability. And there is a very multifaceted, but pretty simple rubric here of what's fair use and, and when you can use people's uh, data. If you create a derivative work out of somebody else's information and you impede their ability to then do that themselves, you are going to get dinged with a lawsuit uh, and you will be stopped. Well, here we go. Reddit is going to start charging companies that use their data to train their AI models. Of course, Reddit's content comes from users. So it is user generated, which leads to the next question. Should those users who originally put it in, do they need to have permission? And do they need to get paid? Well, no. When they posted it to Reddit, they said Reddit gets to keep a copy of that for all time, right? That's the agreement you make when you use any of these networks, uh, like, you know, uh, and you post to them, the, the push and who owns it, whether it's core, etc, gets a license forever to use your content. So be aware of that. And so here's what I said back on all in episode 111. Chat GPT and all these services must use citations of where they got the original work, they must link to them and they must get permission. That's where this is all going to shake out. And Using I believe permission, that's but forget about permission. I mean, you can't get a big enough data set if you have to get permission in advance, right? Well, you no, have to go out and negotiate. It's, it's going to be the large data sets, Quora, Yelp, the App Store reviews, Amazon's reviews. So there are large corpuses of data that you would need. Like Craigslist has famously never allowed anybody to scrape Craigslist. The amount of data inside Craigslist as but one example of a data set would be extraordinary to build ChatGPT on. ChatGPT is not allowed to because you, as you brought up robots.txt last week, there's going to need to be an AI.txt. Are you allowed to use my data set in AI and under and how will I be compensated for it? And so in this next clip, Satya Nadella will answer this question from the Verge's Nilay Patel. It's not a great answer, kind of obscurifies, but we'll talk about that after the clip. But if I ask the new Bing, what are the 10 best gaming TVs? And it just makes me a list. Why should I, the user, then click on the, the link to The Verge, which has another list of the 10 best gaming TVs? Well, I mean, that's a great question. But even there, you will sort of say, hey, where did these things come from? Mm -hmm. uh, and would you want to go dig in? Like that, yeah. even Search Today has that. Like we have answers. They may not be as high quality answers. They just are getting better. So I don't think of this as a complete departure uh, from what is expected of a search engine today, which is supposed to really respond to your query while giving them the links that they can then click on like ads uh, and search works that way. In my mind, there's a terrible answer. He needs to address how they get paid. He punted the answer yeah. and just said, hey, listen, search works this way. Will the rights to the data, will, will Google just say to Quora, hey, we'll give you a billion dollars a year for this data set if you don't they give should. it to anybody else? They should. So he's kind of saying, hey, ChatGPT and uh, giving an answer is going to give a link, but they don't actually give links in these. They just give the answer. And so the question really should be, you need to pay the people who wrote that story. And back to the BuzzFeed story from earlier today, 
If they train ChatGPT on BuzzFeed's content and BuzzFeed is struggling right now, well, maybe we can fix. So there's an opportunity here. Maybe we could give BuzzFeed $50 million a year. They give they get $10 million a year from five different language models who want to use their corpus of data every year. Maybe Reddit gets $100 million. Maybe Reddit says to their top users, if you contribute over this number of words, we're going to put you into this pool. And uh, or if your content gets used more regularly by a language model, again, this is somewhat complicated, but not unprecedentedly complicated, because we have sampling in the music industry. Um, there could be some money that is shared. YouTube shares revenue, advertising revenue with its users. And so why couldn't a language model? And, you know, Google should just, if I'm Google right now, I would just do an exclusive content contract with Reddit and Quora for a billion dollars each for 10 years, $100 million a year and block Microsoft. What's going to happen when these lawsuits drop, uh, because I do think this will result in lawsuits, is you could get an injunction against somebody like, let's say, ChatGPT, um, if they did, in fact, use Reddit, which I believe they use Reddit, Twitter, they did everything. And Google's board has probably used everything. So if you are using that content, you can probably get an injunction and, and basically turn the service off. So this is going to result in some very large checks being cut by the people who have trained their models without permission. On Tuesday, Reddit said it planned on charging uh, for access to the API. It will remain free for developers and researchers for non-commercial use, but obviously if Microsoft, ChatGPT, Google Bard, they're using it for commercial. And according to the New York Times, 57 million people visit Reddit every day. It's a very large website. A small number of people contribute to it, but the CEO, uh, Steve Huffman, who's been on this program, it's been a while. Uh, Steve, come back on the program anytime. I would love to talk to you about this. He says, more than any other place on the internet, Reddit is a home for authentic conversations. There's a lot of stuff on the site that you'd only ever say in therapy or AA or never at all. That's an interesting insight, actually. The Reddit corpus of data is really valuable, but we don't need to give all that value to some of the largest companies in the world for free, crawling Reddit, generating value, and not returning of any of that value to our users is something we have a problem with. It's a good time for us to tighten things up. So he's indicating there that the users should be cut into this, I think. Uh, and when he says it's a good time, uh, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that Reddit uh, was planning to go public. And this would be an incredible story to go public with. Hey, we have advertising revenue. We'll have some sort of subscription or maybe a virtual currency they were playing with their Reddit gold. But really, if they can start dropping hundreds of millions of dollars in licensing fees to the bottom line, that could be extraordinary. Interestingly, Shutterstock sold some of its images uh, and the data in those images to OpenAI, which was used to create the Dolly text to image model. There are a ton of different uh, lawsuits that have already been fired off. I've talked about them before here. and. If you follow Elon on Twitter, he literally says to a tweet about Microsoft using Twitter, he says they trained illegally using Twitter data lawsuit time. So I don't have any inside information, but there you have it, folks, uh, right from Elon himself. So this is going to be a lot of popcorn in the coming months and weeks. And it really is fair for these content sites to get paid. And maybe we can fix journalism here. Maybe the New York Times. Uh, maybe Washington Post, maybe CNN, maybe Fox. If they did have a revenue stream that was based on high quality content, as opposed to link baiting, maybe they would do less link baiting and just focus on incredible content, right? Because they wouldn't be worried about the advertising, the eyeballs and chasing 
you know, an extra 25% of people to click on a link that maybe isn't as accurate as the boring reality of most stories in life. Another uh, important story has come up. Tiger Global has told its LPs that its $12.7 billion venture fund had a loss of 20% at the end of last year. That seems like a low number, actually, when you think about how high this was. And it's uh, important to note the paper losses net of the management fees. So this doesn't include the management fees. They recorded an 8% loss in June of 2022, 11% loss in September of 22. This is all from the same fund. And they had launched this $12.7 billion fund in October of 2021, the peak of the COVID ZERP, which stands for zero interest rate policy, and uh, all that tech craziness. So they came in, they were the last money in, they paid the highest prices. And um, in an article earlier this year, the Wall Street Journal reported that Tiger marked down all of its private investments by about 33%. Makes sense to me. That wiped out $23 billion in paper gains. This fund has been largely deployed. So this is going to be a uh, very, very painful process. And they're not the only ones. So while people, LPs, are leaking these documents, uh, you know, some of them might be upset. It's going to um, be tremendous markdowns. And crypto is a big part of this. FTX uh, and OpenSea were two of the big investments that Tiger had made. FTX, of course, has been completely marked down. They had invested $38 million. They currently market to $0. That's the correct mark, 100%. Uh, and this is the book value. This is what they believe it's worth on paper. OpenSea, which was really printing a lot of NFTs, $127 million, They marked it down to $30 million. ByteDance, they invested $145 million. Marked it down 30%. That seems reasonable because of the issues with, uh, or the chance that uh, obviously ByteDance might, uh, or I should say, the ch chance that TikTok could be shut down. Hopefully it gets divested and they make a ton of money from that. The crypto stuff has been just a complete disaster, a disaster. And this is why late stage, late stage investing is going to be brutal for the next couple of years. Uh, as late stage funds try to figure out how to take the medicine here. Hopefully, some of these companies become legendary companies and they make up for the losses. But this will be a painful uh, number of years. I'm glad I'm an early stage investor. Because when you're investing at a $5 million to $20 million valuation, you know, you can lose your money and go to zero. Of course, most startups do fail. But you, the chances of overpaying would be you overpaid by 2x, 3x, maybe 4x. And we talked about this previously with Y Combinator valuations being maybe two to four times reality of if they were non-YC companies and didn't do the demo day, whipping people up into a frenzy. So worst case scenario, you doubled or tripled the valuation. In some of these SaaS businesses or some of these crypto businesses, people may have paid 50 times what they're actually worth on or 100 times. And there might not be an exit that will ever be above those high water marks. And there's a term for this venture tourists. Sometimes people dabble in venture capital. Sometimes venture capitalists dabble in private equity. Sometimes people from other countries with large amounts of cash will come in and dabble in Hollywood, right? We saw the Japanese, the Russians, and now the Middle East want to be involved in Hollywood. They will pay for big productions. And then maybe they get bored with it. They don't make any money. Uh, and they leave. So chance things could bounce back, but we will see a lot more discipline in the later stage.
And that's because the public market comps are so much lower. So somebody asking for 50 times or 100 times or 200 times revenue, when the publicly traded company that you have liquidity that you can trade in and out of is at 5x, 2x, 10x, I just talked before about you know, how much is uh, BuzzFeed trading at? If they got a $100 million market cap and two or 300 million in ad revenue, I think is where they're at. They're, they're trading at a half of their top line revenue. It's crazy. So it has been uh, a brutal, brutal slog uh, for people like Tiger. And uh, they, they may exit the business completely is uh, a possibility, or they will um, maybe have a little more discipline. If you remember, we talked about Tiger strategy. They were outsourcing their diligence. They were doing multiple term sheets a day, reportedly. And they were doing what's called momentum. Some people might say hype, but momentum-based investing. They said, hey, all, all the people who came in late stage previously double, tripled their money before these companies went public. And that uh, rule um, just did not continue. So they were uh, in this game of last person standing. They didn't get a seat. So well, it's uh, pretty hard right now. And uh, But we'll get through it. And the venture tourists are going to have a little bit of a tough time. The people who have been here uh, doing Series A's and B's and seed investing and accelerators and incubators, uh, we're, we're all working really hard. Sometimes we get an offer here at This Week in Startups that's so great from a partner that I don't even need to read the ad. I can just tell you the benefits. Here's the benefit. Linode has a startup program called RISE, R-I-S-E, right? And it offers more than just free credits. Startups can get up to $10,000 per month in year one credits, followed by 50% and 25% discounts in the next two years. So they're going to take care of you for three full years. There are no caps and you get lifetime discounts based on your usage. Plus you get that amazing award winning 24 hour a day, seven day a week, 365 day a year customer support. And you can do that by phone, email or social media. There's no tears, there's no handoffs. And you get cloud consulting from experts to ensure your tech stack scales seamlessly and an amazing community where you can connect with program members, alumni, advisors, and more. And shout out to our friends at Linode, which was recently acquired by Akamai. Yes, Linode recently announced 12 new global locations that are coming in 2023. With Akamai plus Linode, you get access to leading security and CDN solutions. If you're fed up with your hosting solution, you need to check out Linode. So here's an amazing call to action. Visit linode.com slash twist to get $500 in free credits. And you can also apply to their startup program, Rise. Rise members receive up to $120,000 in free infrastructure credits during their first year and up to 50% discounts thereafter. Okay, let's do a couple of Ask Jason questions. Some of you have some questions for me. David from Abacus Computing, a quantum computing startup asks Jason, what is the best way to position a mostly experimental technology at present to potential customers in our case, quantum computers? Man, that's really hard. What you need to have is somebody who is a really true believer. They have a really vibrant business right now, and they want to have an option to get ahead of their competitors. VTOLs is a perfect example. Self-driving cars, perfect example. You saw uh, the car companies invest in a lot of self-driving car technology companies. You saw Uber and car companies invest in micro mobility and VTOLs, uh, vertical takeoff and landing. So if you want to really get ahead of your competitors, and you don't have R&D internally, and you've got a lot of cash laying around, you might want to make a frisky bet like that. So you would be looking for somebody. I don't know if Dell Computers has an effort here, uh, or 
someone like that, or somebody who would use this as a potential customer down the line, like uh, JP Morgan or some finance company, they believe they're going to need this, or Google believes they're going to need it, they might want to either invest or maybe pre-order some of this hardware and software from you. But this is why often experimental technology is done within a laboratory at a university. And then eventually, when it's ready to be commercialized, they have a licensing group at that university that licenses it out. So if you wanted to work on, you know, a teleportation right now, not many buyers, I don't think American Airlines is going to make a bet on teleportation technology, but they might make a bet on uh, VTOLs. Sure, why not, right? That, that doesn't seem like it's that far away. They might invest in Joby. In fact, I think Joby did get some transportation companies investing in a great question. Blake from Facet, a uh, tech hiring platform asks, AI will allow sales reps to engage prospects at scale with better quality messaging with this new tidal wave of outreach coming. How does the company stand out from its competition to break through the noise? So what he's talking about here is you have SDRs who will qualify candidates and then they email people. The email people say, hey, do you want the software? And what he's predicting is just like we all in the industry get many people asking us, hey, do you want to hire my development shop in San Paulo or Ukraine or Manila or India or China or Boise, Idaho? I get these things all day. You probably get some of them too. Or you get people saying, hey, who are you using as your uh, HR provider? I think it's going to lead to people building autoresponders with AI in email, and it might burn out the email channel, just like and it might it could even result in regulation. So maybe they'll regulate, hey, because automated spam versus one-on-one spam, the, those are things that if a company gets too frisky sending too many emails, it could damage their domain name. If they damage their domain name, what's going to happen? Uh, they're going to get a lower ranking and then everybody in the company gets uh, a spam warning. So I do think that this AI outreach could get too efficient. And people could abuse it for spam. But the converse is also true. People could use AI to respond and say, no, thank you. Or they could use AI to say, here's a list of all the SaaS software we use. And if you would like to compete against it, you know, we would like one year free. So I could literally just tell somebody, hey, if you want me to switch from my HR provider to your HR provider, you know, the opening conversation is, I'd like a year or two free. And the AI could just ask for that which is kind of funny. At one point, I believe WeWork was doing that. I remember founders telling me they had WeWork offering them six months free rent if they would sign, you know, a 12-year deal, a 12-month deal or something, right? Um, and I think that let them put more, fill their buildings up, right? And then hopefully people would keep paying. So it's not necessarily a terrible idea, but we will see a tidal wave or maybe the AI will be more intelligent and not send as many emails because they're doing better targeted ones, which could also be better. Okay, our producers actually asked ChatGPT to write a sales email while I was answering that question. My producers gave the following prompt. Write a sales email from Jason Tech, a startup that sells internal communication software for remote employees that's better than Slack and Microsoft Teams. And it literally did this. Subject, unleash your team's full potential with Jason Tech, the ultimate internal communication solution. Dear recipient's name, are you tired of juggling multiple communication tools just to keep your remote team connected? Say goodbye to hassles of Slack, Microsoft Teams, and discover the future of internal communication with Jason Tech. I mean, why choose Jason Tech? Streamline communications, enhance security, and even put emojis in front of these. AI-powered collaboration, seamless integration. Claim your 30-day free trial for a limited time, blah, 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 blah. If you'd like to learn more, uh, email phone number best. So it could already write a very generic sounding one, that's not going to get through the noise. And so what might get through the noise is, hey, Jason, or, you know, hey, Joe, 
I I know that uh, you at your company Acme Widgets uh, are using Microsoft Teams, and we know Microsoft Teams cost this price and, and maybe a more sophisticated pitch that's a little more personalized would work better. But AI can write pretty reasonable uh, copy already. We know that, and so I think it's just going to be messy. It's just going to be messy. Thankfully, uh, email spam is something that is tracked by the major providers and you know whether it's microsoft or google's products everybody in between so they'll they'll come up with countermeasures and we won't get as many of these all right bridget from to and from a gifting platform says we're growing fast and i'm running a fundraising process i can't hire a bigger team until i raise but i can't spend enough time on my raise without sacrificing growth this feels like the ultimate catch-22 i'm sure you've covered this before so i'd love to understand how vcs look at this dilemma when evaluating companies yeah, the way we look at it is you need to have a multiple co-founders in a company. And if you had two co-founders, one could do fundraising, one could work on the product, and one could work on growth. And this is why Y Combinator, R Accelerator, Launch Accelerator, Techstars, and others are looking for two or three founders in a company. You've basically proven the point that you don't have enough leadership in your company vested with founder shares to be able to multitask on very important tasks like fundraising product and growth. Additionally, um, it's a competition. So if you can't figure it out, and other people can, then capital allocators will rightly prioritize other investments. And that's what you have to realize you're in a competition, you are not like you are not guaranteed anything in this life, you're not guaranteed to get any amount of funding, you have to fight versus your contemporaries. And in a market like this, it's gonna be pretty dogged. And it's going to be dogged for smaller dollar amounts. So while I sympathize with you, you need to step up your game is basically what it comes down to. You need to either work harder or get partners. And if you had partners, probably wouldn't have sent the email. Uh, and I don't doubt that you're working hard. But this is why starting a company is not for everybody. Okay, we'll take a final question. This one's from Josh at an esports company. He's developing racing simulations he asks how do you think video games influence uh, how do you think video game influence and gamification has impacted user acquisition for startups loyalty programs membership and ranks all seem more commonplace yes for people who don't know gamification is when you level up in a game started with dungeons and dragons you have it in martial arts you go from white belt to yellow belt green belt these milestones make people uh, motivated. This is how humans work. We want to just go up a ladder. We want to get recognition. The things that work really well are recognition, affiliation, and you know, lastly, compensation. So really, the, the main driver is recognition, status. And when you look at something like AngelList when it came out, the size of your syndicate, there was a ranking page how many deals you had done. And I remember emailing Naval like, wait a second, I have the largest syndicate with the most number of deals. Why am I not listed as number one with the largest amount of members, the largest number of deals completed? And um, they said, Oh, we don't count your accelerator companies in there. And why not? They said, Oh, well, because you've already invested in them, and you're getting a special deal. And they had some fakaka answer for me. And it really upset me because I was like, well, I'm number three on the list, but I'm really number one. And you've actively figured out a way to lower me in the rankings. I was like hurt. I'll be honest. Like I was like, wait a second. I climbed up the rankings. And then I was like, wait a second. Does, do the rankings actually matter? Or does the amount of money I'm investing and how much of it I'm keeping matter? 
And that's when I left AngelList, right? I couldn't come to terms with the way they were treating me in the ranking system. So these ranking systems are very powerful. And it's a large part of what drives uh, Reddit, uh, Hacker News. And even if you open up your Starbucks app, how many coins you get, right? Can really drive uh, behavior. Oh, I'm going to get some coffee. Would I go to the you know, local coffee shop? Or do I go to a place where I'm going to get double points because it's Tuesday and I'm ordering a mocha or something? It, it works. I think it can be cheesy at times. People who buy high-end products are not necessarily looking for this. They're looking for other things. So people who don't need to save money and they don't need status because like, I don't need status in my Uber, but I would like a shorter wait time. Sure. And uh, I have the Uber one platform. And one of the nice things on that is if somebody cancels, I don't get charged or I get a certain number of cancellations. So it took me a minute to get down the elevator at my hotel one time and my car left. And I was like, oh God, I have to pay that five or $10 fee. How annoying. I'm going to be 10 minutes late to the airport. And I look in the app and it was like, oh no, they gave me like a courtesy, uh, like a courtesy cancellation, right? Because sometimes it's, you know, that little sort of niceness uh, that bespoke, you know, oh, I'm part of this more upper status, right? So it still has status, but it's not necessarily about paying people off. I think you can also take it too far. Uh, there's an app called Strava, if you know it, and they were timing people on different bike rides and stuff like that. And people were trying to beat certain times. And that made people do dangerous things, right? Incented people to try to go really fast down certain runs on bicycles or something. I find myself, I'm, I'm addicted to an app called Slopes. And um, I was skiing, and I forgot to turn it on. And I got incredibly frustrated with myself. Oh my god, there's like five runs I didn't count in Japan. And there was three runs I didn't count in Lake Tahoe. And so I had to, like, net that out at the end of the year. And I keep looking at this year versus last year, 36 days this year, 40 days last year, and I'm just obsessing about getting those extra four days. Same thing with steps, same thing with scale. So I just encourage people when you're making this to be thoughtful or using these things to be thoughtful about motivating yourself in the right direction and motivating your users in the right direction. If you don't know about gamification, I would look at anybody who has a loyalty program. And you can just look on your apps and you'll find them. All right, everybody, we will see you on Monday on this week in startups. Congrats again to my friends at the SpaceX team and Elon. What an inspiration. Uh, just amazing to, to see that rocket ship go up and, uh, you know, rack and stack. Next rocket up. Let's go, baby. <laughs>